Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Once again, the target's banished the flick on. Gather Round Villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. The streak might be over, but there's still optimism aplenty as we enter the final month of the season. So we'll be catching up on the recent events and looking ahead to the big Birmingham Black Country War at the Custard Bowl on Saturday. I'm your host, Andy, and today it's a warm welcome back to Dan. Hello, Andy. Hello, listener. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be back. It's 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 not under the best of circumstances. I feel like I'm only ever on when we break a streak or if we're on a losing streak. But it's good to see your face, Andy, and, and good to be chatting <laughs> chatting Villa. And, and listener, yeah. do forgive my croaky voice. I've I've either got a touch of allergy or I'm allergic to Villa losing. It's been that long since since we've tasted the bitter taste of defeat. It's it's not agreeing with me. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get on to the United game in a bit, but obviously uh, it did feel a bit strange sitting there after a defeat on uh, on Sunday afternoon, I must say. It was, uh, yeah, it was like, like an old friend, wasn't it? <laughs> a comforting blanket that you just, you know where you're at with a defeat away to United. We're used to it. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, yeah, it was a bit bit of a shame, but we'll 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 catch up on because it's been a couple of weeks since we've we've been on for various reasons. Um, so we'll catch up on um, the the previous two games really, and the, the the Brentford away game. We won't dwell too much on it. Obviously, it was a. I'm sure. I'm sure everyone's uh, caught up plenty on on the various various other uh, channels, but it was a one all draw. Um, on first draw for a while again we'd been on a bit of a winning streak it, it felt like a little bit of a um a, a, an anti-climax I suppose um he, Ivan Tony put had put Brentford ahead and of course Douglas Louise equalized late on you know it was a real kind of dig it out style attritional performance I thought by by Villa on the day um, it wasn't helped by the fact Martinez had gone off at half time and he, he with a sickness bug and he'd been replaced by Robin Olsen, who I think uh, you know causes causes some some panic in the defence at, at, at times. Um, just quickly, I mean, what were your thoughts on on this one, Dan? And, and I mean, it's a difficult place to go, um, particularly for Villa, um, but a somewhat frustrating outcome in the end. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, any game where you play Robin Olsen and get a point feels like a, a victory to me. It's I joked on Twitter that I'd rather have Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen in goal than, than Robin, and I stick by it. He's a he's a terrible goalkeeper, but do you know what? I actually wasn't. It, it feels like a long way off now, but I wasn't too disappointed with this. This speaks to me as like the. The, the kind of unsexy side of the run we've been on is that you can go to Brentford, play pretty badly in terms of our recent standards, and be disappointed to come away with a draw. I mean, that's that. These are the levels we're we're kind of playing at now. This is not us playing Everton at home, getting a win, sitting seventeenth, and being happy with ourselves. We're going away to a good team 
who are in the top half of the table playing good football and we're getting a draw, not playing well and being very happy about it. And that's what I kind of took away from this game. Villa weren't at their best. And I think this was probably the start of a week where we've not been at our best and, and the squad depth has shown. But but we ground it out. We left it a little bit late and we could have gone on and won it. And and I think that's, uh, we'll come on to the run in a bit, but that's the most satisfying thing about this run for me is the Dino run in the championship felt a little bit like good vibes and luck. Like it felt like we were riding the good times. This, we're getting the wins and getting the points without playing well. And and that's the mark, the, traditionally the mark of a good side. And and I've almost enjoyed the gritty, nasty performances as a, as much as I have the, the demolitions of Newcastle. It's It feels like something altogether more sustainable about drawing away to Brentford than, than it does kind of winning 10 on the bounce, for example. But... Yeah, it feels like a long way ago. Maybe I've got rose-tinted glasses, but I was pleased with the point here. I think as well it's worth looking at the... If we're in a position now to kind of take in the season as a whole, and of course we've had absolute terrible trouble with Brentford, haven't we, Um, ever since we started playing them back in the Championship. Obviously when Dean Smith was their manager... You know, we, we we were on the end of some some proper beatings from them and some really, really difficult days against them. This season, we've kind of turned the corner with that, haven't we? In a, at the time when they've been ahead of us most of the season, we've we've kind of got the upper hand in the over the two games and taken four points off them. You know, and and not that I want to I want to brag too much about Aston Villa taking four points off Brentford, but. It's it's unusual. It's it is a turnaround. It's 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 not been that way at all, and um, that's all credit to them, of course, and you know a sign of where we've been at. But certainly, I mean, the performance earlier in the season was just the pure reaction to uh, the 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 Stephen Gerrard shackles being removed. I think, and uh, it was it was a, a wonderful day. <laughs> that particular day, it was fantastic, um, and this was. This was more, you know, going going away there to a very difficult place. It's not just Aston Villa that I've had trouble at Brentford this season. Um, and, yeah, putting in a, a pretty creditable performance in the end and, and, and clawing something back when, you know, it could be argued they didn't deserve it. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of more sustainable to kind of... We'll come on to the Fulham game in a second, but... Playing badly and picking up points is how you progress up a lead. You cannot play like we did in the the Danks Brentford 4-0. You don't play like that every week. No team plays like that every week. It's you look at the best teams in the land and they grind out results because that's what you have to do over a 38-week season. You have to grind out results. And and I think that this coupled with the Fulham game is the mark of a team that is now ready to grind out results. And I've never or not in a long time associated Villa with that style of football. We're either brilliant and play a team off the park, or we're terrible and we get defeated, or we're unlucky and we get beaten. And um, the the joy of this run, and I know we'll we'll dive into the run a bit more, the joy of the run is, is it feels inherently sustainable. And a 1-1 draw away at Brentford, who are a top 10 team and have been for a season now, feels inherently sustainable rather than us going on these, you know, the Newcastle game was brilliant and and we waxed lyrical about it, rightfully so, but that's something of a flash in the pan. This is is a solid performance to follow that up with because it's 
it's almost your meat and potatoes as you draw away to Brentford after that spectacular home win. And and, and likewise, we followed it up with the home win against Fulham when we, we didn't play well and we still got points. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been um, I've been absolutely dying for a uh, a Ming's header from a corner. I've been <laughs> saying every week, pretty much, um, to various people that I'm, you know, I'd love to, I'd love a Ming's header uh, from a corner, and it proved um, it, it proved to happen against Fulham at home uh, last Wednesday, last Tuesday. Um, it was this was a really interesting game for me. Um, one nil victory, on the face of it, very comfortable. Second half was was a little bit, a little bit more sticky. But that first half performance, I think, got a little bit lost in uh, just how in control Villa were th- throughout the whole game. I think Fulham, uh, the, the whole half, sorry, F- Fulham had a chance right at the start of the half after about thirty seconds. Um, a volley that w- went wide, and I, I don't think they really had any any concerted at time on the ball at all. Then for the whole the whole half, it was all Aston Villa, completely dominating the ball, completely dominating the tempo, um, creating one one or two one or two decent chances, and of course scoring the scoring the goal from a from a corner, which was. You know, a, a really simple corner routine, a lovely, just a lovely sort of weighted ball into the into the into the box, and and Mings flicks it into the corner. I, th- I did think Buendia was going to take it again, like he did against uh, like he did against uh, Bournemouth the other week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was it it was great, and a um, bit of a shame we didn't kind of go on and get two and three. But I just thought the domination, particularly in that first half, and the patterns of play and the way we were we were opening Fulham up was just sensational. And this is the interesting thing about the style of football we're playing is is you can play not at 100%, but because you're in control of the ball and you're controlling the tempo of the game, you don't have to play well because you decide when you're going to push it or not. It's not that harem, scarem, end-to-end football. You're, you're taking your time. You're in complete control over when you attack, when you don't attack. And then the, the individual quality of players shines through and... I think this was a really good example of of those little margins that have improved under Unai Emery. As you say, Mings has been an ornament up there for for weeks now, and <laughs> and if you believe the the after the match interviews, Emery's been in his ear telling him he needs to score, jokingly saying that he'll drop him if he doesn't score. It's that like <laughs> you know he's never going to drop Mings. He's been fantastic for us, but it's that nice little touch. And and there's also a little nod here for for Austin McPhee, who who was something of a figure of fun for us under Gerrard because we brought him in as this this much-fated set-piece specialist and and we didn't really improve under set-pieces. But like everything else, Emery has come in, looked at the coaching staff and decided who to keep and who to drop. And and obviously Austin McPhee has impressed him. And and Austin McPhee, you see it in the games, comes out in the technical area and dictates the set-pieces while while Emery takes a bat seat. And that's a real nod of responsibility to the man and and I think since Emery's come in we've we've been fantastic at set pieces there's I think of the the McGinn goal against Chelsea was kind of work from a set piece as you say there was the one against Bournemouth there's been a few goals and and as well as the goals we've tightened up from them we look like such a soft team from set pieces before Emery came in and and as I say this is this is not Emery's work this is Austin McPhee's work and it's just another example of him finding what was already at the club and 
and letting it shine rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. And and this man's been at the club for a couple of years now, but I think we're only just seeing the benefit of having having that dedicated set-piece guy in the ranks. It makes you wonder whether Unai Emery would have been aware of Austin McPhee previously. I mean, you know, it's a small world, isn't it, in football? And although he's, he'd been coaching in, um, in Spain, you know, for a couple of years since he left Arsenal... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's aware of, you know, who, you know, who, who are the, who are the, who are the people, who are the, the main guys in certain areas of coaching, and these these kind of very very specialist, very neat niche coaches are are a coming thing now in the game, and I, you just wonder whether he's he's turned up at Villa and he knows who he is, so he's he's said, well, yeah, we can use we can use someone of that. With, with that kind of um, knowledge and input. Well, Greg Evans did a really good piece in The Athletic where he talked about McPhee, and he said that I, there wasn't any insinuation of whether whether Emery knew him or not, but he said that the like with the players, once Unai Emery took the job, he, he almost did a deep-dive scouting report on all the coaching staff to find out who he was getting and what they were skilled at, and apparently was really impressed with with the coaching that that. Austin McPhee was putting on and and apparently the difference and again this is all third hand but the difference under Gerard is McPhee was there doing the training sessions but Gerard wouldn't give him the time and the schedule to really do the training sessions and apparently under Emery those training sessions are both more frequent and Emery sits on the sidelines and and, and re-emphasizes everything McPhee says so I think you're right it, it speaks to like Emery's football brain is is whether he knew about him before or whether he can just come in and instantly see the qualities of a man in football, it shows you that he can... I mean, anyone can go out and buy a great player. Well, not anyone. Villa have proved that wrong over the years. But you can go out <laughs> and buy a good player. But the real talent is taking what you've already got and turning, you know, really getting the maximum out of them. And we've seen that with Ollie Watkins. We've seen that with Tyrone Mings. And if he's doing that with a coaching staff too, that's wonderful. And and who's to say that next season he's not doing it with the under-21s too? It's it's just a mark of a manager that... And I, I'm so excited by him. To just see everyone in the club improving is such a positive place to be in. Yeah. The other thing that was evident from being at the game, the Fulham game, was, um, was you know, how on board the, the fans are now. And I know it's easy after a run like we've been on. That was our 10th... Our our tenth um tenth game you know without defeat um it's easy then isn't it but I, you know th- there was that kind of it got a little bit tetchy in the second half because we were we were only one nil up and we were struggling i think to get on the ball i think they were going longer a little bit so they were they weren't controlling possession as much but they were they were in control out of possession if you you know you know it's that it's it's that two sides of the game isn't it if you can't have the ball control it off the ball and you know they never really looked they didn't give up any chances in the second half or anything but it was just the way that you know the the whole attitude towards recycling the ball you know bringing the ball backwards playing it really slowly out of defense you know drawing the press all that sort of thing these things that against when we played sort of Arsenal, when we played uh, Leicester and and so on, these are the things that people were getting agitated with. Now it's kind of, 
we, you know, they, they trust the players, I think, and that you know they're seeing the fr- the fruits of of this style. And the atmosphere was far more. I mean, it's just really relaxed in there. You know, honestly, it was it was good atmosphere. You know, that the, there was a bit of a, you know, the chanting going on throughout the game to some degree, and certainly in the Holt end. But it was just very relaxed, even at one nil. You know, it was, it was great. I mean, I'm stealing this from your notes, but we've got five home wins in a row, the first time since 1983, run of 10 undefeated with eight wins and seven clean sheets. I mean, you almost get used to these numbers. I was at the point where I thought we'd never lose a game of football again. I just got so used to us winning and and not just winning, but looking comfortable whilst winning. It's I know we've... You, you put in the notes, and we've discussed it, you and I, before, that this is somewhat comparable to the Dean Smith one where we went up. But almost that Dean Smith run felt a little bit lucky in places. It felt like we rode our luck and we we pulled results out of nowhere. I, I don't think there's been a single game in this run of 10 where we've not deserved the result, where we've not been in control of the game. And that's it, there's, it's a mirror image to the Dino time, but the difference is it feels utterly controlled. And... And that's where I think that atmosphere comes from. I've never been as relaxed as a Villa fan watching. And it's it's maybe because there's not really anything to play for. But I think more than that is I just trust what's going on. If the team sheet comes out, I don't care who he's picked. I mean, I'm sure he's got great reasons for whoever he's picked. He could put Dendonka up front for all I care. I'm going to trust Emery to do it. Unlike Gerard, where I'd have I'd lose hair every time a team sheet came out. And, and under Dino, it was questioning what would happen. It's... It just feels utterly relaxed. We feel like a professional football club being professional about being a football club. And it's it's wonderful to feel that relaxed. And as you say, it's wonderful the fans have bought in for it. Because there were times at the start of the Emery reign when fans were a bit jittery. But it's amazing what a run of results will do for getting everyone on board with the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned there, obviously it's been a it has been a hell of a run, and you you know, you you sort of mentioned there some of the some of the highlights in terms of the stats but um it's it's the, it's obviously the best the best we've had it since um since that championship season where they broke the record for the for the number of wins um in a row which was 10 that's that's an all-time club record in the in albeit in the championship um so i mean it's it's easy to compare the two it's a similar time of year as well isn't it and um, Villa were obviously, you know, climbing up the league rapidly throughout that run um, to finish, I think, fifth in the league and get into the playoffs, and eventually, of course, got promoted. Um, this one, you know, another ten-game run where we've we've gone from eleventh right up as high as fifth. Um, so lots of parallels, but obviously the two draws in there, but. It is the Premier League, so you <laughs> yeah. kind of forgive them that. But it's it's kind of how do you think it compares? How do you think you know? Is this how is, is it comparable in any way, or do we need the context of where we end up? You know, if we if we manage to get into into Europe in in one of those positions, you know, then can you can you compare the two the two seasons and the two runs? It's a really interesting question because, as you say, they're they're very different leagues and you're playing for very different things. I think even if we don't qualify for Europe, this is an incredibly impressive feat that what we've achieved here. As you say, it's the Premier League. We've played some very good teams. I think the big thing that feels good for me is 
there was just a sense under the Dino run, I remember it right, very, very clearly, as of everything just coming together. Everything just felt right. We'd, we finally had the right man for the job. We had the right team. The fans were on board. Everything was linked together. And we've spoken at length on this podcast to how that's been missing for recent years, kind of under Dino's reign in the Premier League, especially under the Gerald era, that's been missing. And that's that's the one thing I take away from this Emery run as well is, and I, I not to blow my own trumpet, but I'm going to, I called this about eight weeks ago that we were going to go yeah, on a 10-game chair. But it wasn't <laughs> because of any tactical insight or anything else, or, or no knowledge. It just, everything felt like it was coming together. And it's it's those little intangibles you see on the pitch where the players are holding each other to account, where they're kind of, you know, you see the defenders like high-fiving after a block or you see a striker calling his partner out because he hasn't squared the ball when there was an easy chance on. Those little things that you can tell the players are holding each other to account and the players are believing in themselves. And it's such a simple thing, but it makes the world a difference in football. And and that's the thing I cued into early on the Emery reign is the players just looked like they got it and they knew they trusted themselves. They believed in their ability. And it was the same in that Dean Smith reign. It's almost a player's belief that they couldn't lose meant that they didn't lose. And and the fact is that I, I think they're both comparable in the fact that you've got a manager who's come in mid-season to a team that was in the doldrums and they've turned it round. And, and I think... The key difference is, whilst I love Dino and I'll defend him to the hilt on this podcast, we've got the the cheerleading skills of Dino on display to turn the team around. But then you've got a manager who's won four Euro- European Cups or whatever it is. He's got the chops to back this up. This isn't just man management. This is man management and tactical acumen all at the same time. And it's all all that much more impressive because it's in the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the, the the obviously the context is is everything, isn't it? I think I think at that point it was it was one final throw of the dice almost, wasn't it? In the championship, it was the the last year of the parachute payments. It was definitely the last year of Jack Grealish if mm-hmm. we hadn't gone up, and it was kind of like this is the this is the opportunity. It's now or never, and they had to do something absolutely miraculous to make it happen. And if they hadn't got over the line at Wembley, it would have kind of... I mean, it still would have been a club record, but it would have been for nothing. You know, it would have all gone... And who knows what would have happened thereafter, but, you know, we'd have still been in the Championship. This this run kind of signifies the huge acceleration in progress on the on the field. You know, we've seen, we've seen in other areas of the club, the, the Villa women... Mm-hmm. You know the academy and the way that's run, stuff off the field um, is is moving forward rapidly. The only thing that hadn't was the first team. Really, mm-hmm. it had a couple of years of stalling, and for whatever reason, you know, football's like that. You know, it sometimes happens. This this kind of this run, and you know, before obviously Emery came in before the World Cup and. You know, he started that progress, but this run sort of signifies that huge, huge jump forward that the club have made from being like middle of the bottom half last season to to now challenging for Europe. And whether they get that into that top seven or not, the signs are really good for next season, and and that's the that's the difference. So the the overall outcome of this season doesn't 
doesn't matter anywhere near as much as it did four years ago, you know. And that's it. I mean, spoiler alert, listener, we're going to come on to the United game. Like, there, <laughs> there isn't a happy ending to this podcast, but this 10-game run, as you say, it feels sustainable. I don't see this and see it as a flash in the pan. I see this as proof of what Emery's going to do next year. And sure, we might not go on a 10-game run, but as we as we said, like this this run has been sustainable. It's not been some last throw of the dice, last chance saloon heroics. This has been a team that, to be fair, just needed to get out of relegation trouble and it would have been a successful season. They could have, like Fulham, who, who we beat midweek, they could have been on the beach after a couple of games with Emery in charge, quite happily, knowing that we're safe from relegation, we're sitting in mid-table. But they're all coming out after, I mean, particularly after the Newcastle game, but after others, they're coming out and talking about Europe in the press. And as a player, that's putting yourself out there. You're mm. you're, you're putting yourself in people's firing line by saying, we want a challenge for the Europe. I mean, the easy thing to do as a player would be just say, oh, we're just thinking about the next game, trying to get clear of relegation. That's, that's the easy thing to say. But especially the likes of Jacob Ramsey were coming out and saying, we want a challenge for Europe. And that's... That's a mentality shift that is so difficult to do. And as you say, as, as fans, it's incredibly, for those of us who've been through the mill and know what it's like, just to be talking about Europe is bizarre. Like, to be challenged for it is even more bizarre. And then it's why I can't bring myself to be disappointed if we don't qualify, because it's just the fact that we've gone from 17th and 7-2 to two to, to go down to to fifth we were fifth the other day it's madness like it's and people i was listening to other podcasts and they were talking about villa for the champions league and it's it's bizarre it's utterly bizarre to even think about yeah well on in, in another set of circumstances you know it is champions league form isn't it you know if you if you extrapolate the the points per game over the season we're you know we're looking at 80 points you know it's 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 incredible the, the turnaround it's just that first few games I mean you know, I, d- I don't if, want to get ahead of myself but if we'd have hired Emery instead of Steven Gerrard we'd have probably won the league and, and everything else by now I mean that's <laughs> given the job he's done so far imagine giving him an extra 18 months in charge yeah yeah it's 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 incredible I think obviously there is a ceiling because you know we, we ultimately we're not going to be able to compete with with the with the oil all your barons and the, <laughs> the the nation states are we? We're not going to be able to do that. Um, it's certainly not long term. But you know, to to mix it at the top end of the the Premier League is where we want to be. Um, and you know, it may be fleeting. It might be you know, it might be the way it goes. It might we might establish ourselves, but. You know, we just need to we just need to make the most of it, don't we? Really, I think, you know, and that's when, you know, we come on to the the disappointment, really, and uh, you know, the the every every run comes to an end at some point, doesn't it? Um, and of course, going to Man United away, it's it's a strange one because out of the three games. This was the one I was most confident about. I don't know about you. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't confident at all. That's uh, <laughs> we've been burnt here before. We have. I just thought. I just felt like this is kind of Emery's party trick, if you like, isn't it? How do you take a team to a massive club um, who are who are playing well and top end of the league, and 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 and, and beat them on a one off occasion? That's that's kind of. Um, how he has accumulated so many Europa leagues, isn't it? And I think, I think, 
um, I just had that that feeling. I I kind of thought out of the three, the one we're most likely to win is the Man United <laughs> game. But um, yeah, it's just the different different mentality now, different way of of thinking and thinking how things work. And maybe I was getting ahead of myself. Well, I was getting ahead of myself a little <laughs> bit, but we'd already beaten them this season. And had we beaten them on Sunday, it would have been the first time we'd done the double since. Uh, 1954, oh, wow. I think I read. So even before our last FA Cup, we... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, amazing, amazing if we'd have done it. But um, it was a, it was another unchanged team. Obviously, the, the famous four: Cash, Kamara, uh, Coutinho, and Bailey are still out through injury. Hopefully, on the way back soon. Um, the, the main core of the team have, have coped well, really, haven't they, with the the injuries and everything mounting up and they've kept the run going. Um, however, does it, do you think it feels like they're, they're starting to run out of steam a little bit? And and how much do you think the, the that reduced, those reduced options off the bench have uh, had an effect on not only the, the performances, but also the approach to games? I think possibly. I mean, I've been, I've been very surprised at how well we've coped with a small squad, but I think this was... This was less of a case of us running out of steam and more of a case of us looking like a team that had played three games in a week. I think that's it very much there was some it's the kind of squad you'd want to change about away at Old Trafford, especially when it was a rain soaked pitch. And you saw the difference between the two sides with the substitutions. When we're bringing on Callum Chambers, they're bringing on Fred or whoever. Like there's, they've got top draw players coming on in the place of of our bit part free transfers. So it's I do think there was a case of us running out of steam. But that said, I don't think we played badly in this game. I think we weren't at our best. I think this is the first time we've not scored under Unai Emery, which is incredible to say the least. And we were probably half the width of one of Moreno's kneecaps away from a nil-nil because he, he got a block on that shot. It was a spawny goal. Um, and so it's. I think it's one of those games where it's... We're in an incredibly fortunate position to come away from Old Trafford against a team who are fourth in the league and be disappointed that we didn't win a game, let alone get a point from it. And that's how far we've come. It's it's easy to feel really disappointed because the run's over, but the fact that we went into this game with the squad we have, and I, you felt confident, I felt quietly confident, the fact that we're even in that mental space is bizarre in itself. And and I think it was it was one of those games that that could have easily gone either way. And I think if we'd have had a bench that was slightly stronger than Bertrand Traore and and Callum Chambers, we might have maybe got something from it. Um, as it was, we didn't. But um, I, there's a lot to be positive about here. One thing I will say is I still think it's hilarious that we bring Callum Chambers on in games. Like it's, I, I still can't believe we're in a situation where we're starting Ashley Young and we're bringing Callum Chambers on, and yet we were fifth in the Premier League. It's, it's almost <laughs> like he's handicapping himself, Unai Emery, by doing it this way. Well, I, I think, in, in all fairness, I think, I think what's what, what you're seeing is is players is players stepping up and and you know and, be, and being empowered to to come into these these situations. I mean, we've 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 kind of we've done the other games, but I know, you know, in terms of the Brentford game, the substitutions he he made. I think Luca Dean, mm-hmm. Traore, and and um, and Callum Chambers came on and 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 really kind of helped turn the game, you know, back in our favour. So we could we we could make a bit of a, a and eventually get the equaliser. And I think 
I think these players are all playing their part. Um, Dendonka's another one who I think was ridiculed. I think he's had a he's he's suffered because of who we signed him from, and he's also obviously the the the, the mistake against against mm-hmm. Stevenage in the cup. Um, but I aside from that, I think he's almost been immaculate in in. In in his he's a limited player obviously but he he does his job really well I think um, and I think it's those you know being able to use the squad um, and not and, and everyone has something to give and and when when they do come onto the field they know what their job is and that that's just it sounds really really basic but it's amazing how often that isn't the case with with managers I mean I, you know the, the current relegation battle. It's an absolute shambles. Yeah. The teams at the bottom are an absolute shambles. So what are they? What are they doing between sort of Sunday and Saturday? You know, it's it's it it it, it beggars belief, really. But we're we're in a position where, you know, we know the game plan. We know we know what's happening, and and we're sticking to it as well, and we're we're executing it most of the time. I mean, this was this was a tricky a tricky start, really. I think United. Um, Put us under quite a lot of pressure with the ball over the top um, of our high line um, throughout the game, throughout, certainly throughout the first half. Um, and Rashford, you know, did did get in behind on a few occasions. Um, Martinez, I thought had a had a had a pretty good game until the until the goal and and, and afterwards as well. I thought he, you know, he he sort of swept up pretty well. Um, eventually, of course, they got the breakthrough. About five minutes from the break, Casemiro um, headed the ball forward, and Rashford Rashford got in, and his his rather tame shot was saved. And and like you say, Bruno Fernandez came in, and and it was a deflection off uh, Moreno that 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 took it over Martinez into the net. Um, Martinez admitted that he he diverted from the plan a little bit and got decided to go long, um, which had put his defence on the back foot a little bit. Um, but it's kind of felt inevitable, really, that United would get success against this high line with their with the pace they had up front. Do you think Emery approached this in perhaps in the in the wrong way, or is it important that we we'd stick to our principles in these these situations? It's a really interesting question. I had a, a friend of mine's a United season ticket holder, and he messaged me halfway through the first half saying that the high line was suicidal and that we'd dead score at some point. And yet I was watching it via. Un, un, unseemly means I was watching it on a, a slow delay. <laughs> I, I felt relatively confident. The thing with a high line is it's high risk, high reward. I mean, it's we saw it for years with that old Arsenal back line. They didn't mind who they were playing against. They'd played a high line because they knew they'd catch you offside. And and that's what I saw in that first half from Villa. We We were confident enough that we would catch them offside. And we did. We restricted them to, to half chances at best. I think there were a couple of things that went wrong for us. One was the pitch was so slick, it was difficult for players to keep their feet, and we saw that. And that puts a little bit of doubt in the mind. And two, as you say, the goal was Martinez deviating from the plan. It was a long ball, and the problem with a long ball is it just takes one header to completely do your back line. Konza lost his foot in a little bit, stepped up at the wrong moment, and they're clean through. Even when they're clean through, as you say, it's a tame Rashford shot and a... A lucky at best Fernandez deflected shot, even though he gave it the big one in front of the Villa fans. It was it was a poor goal. And 
uh, the rest of the game, we carried on playing a high line and we kept them at bay. And I think it's I'd rather see us play a high line and stop them from playing their game than sit deep and let them come at us and come at us and come at us. I think there's there's a lot to be said about playing that high line to condense the the pitch into a really small area of the midfield and make it ugly away from home. And I think if we had more attacking options, we'd have we'd have gone and scored ourselves in that game. So I don't have any problems with the tactics at all. I think it was a case of execution in this one rather than tactics, similarly to how we did against Arsenal. It was a case that the tactics were right, the execution just was slightly off. And and I think you're right in mentioning Emmy because I think we saw the best and the worst of him under Unai Emery here. He's, he's become a really good sweeper-keeper and his distribution has improved markedly. But he still has a habit of putting it long when he shouldn't do. And he just needs to, for a man who's so good at the the dark arts of the game, he'll sometimes just be a little bit too too quick to crack and play it long rather than play the tricky short path. Yeah, I think I think sometimes there is a definite switch to it, isn't there? You know, certainly against Fulham, second half, they they switched and they were they were they were going long uh, deliberately. Um you know, certainly at the start of the half, second half, um, this was a you know was a deviation. You wonder whether, like you say, the conditions sort of played a part in that. Really, it was coming towards half time, and they perhaps thought, "Let's be a bit safer." I agree, though. I think, I think as soon as as soon as you start to say, "Well, we're not going to play that way against this team because of this," then you start to that's that creates doubt in terms of is this a good idea that we're doing this you know and and that that once you have that doubt in the in the group then things start to go a little bit awry the idea is no this is what we do and even if it goes wrong we're going to carry on doing it because most of the time it'll yep. work and we'll have the quality to to be able to to execute it properly occasionally a team is going to do you if you if you play a high line every now and again a, a, you know someone who's a bit nippy is going to time they run and get in behind you and that's that's just because we're playing in a in a in a a league of that of that level um I thought it was really interesting watching Man United launching long balls yeah. over our defense it was it was really strange to see you know because you're not used to United playing that way at home so that it was obviously something that they had they said this is our best chance you know and Hopefully we'll get our opportunity, and unfortunately, they did by hook or by crook. So um, it was it was disappointing from that regard, but also encouraging that we kept on. I think you know we went went on, and I think you're right. Like it's encouraging is the takeaway I have from this. I I, I kind of was watching the game, and it would have been so easy for us to batten down the hatches, play deep let them tire themselves out. But we went toe-to-toe with them from the off. There was about six, seven minutes in, there was a surging Moreno run down the left and across into the box. And this is away from home at Old Trafford. This is a place where teams like us go and hope for a point. But we were we were playing football. We were playing it out from the back. We were playing a high line. And I'd much rather go to Old Trafford, square up to them and try and beat them and come away losing than sit deep, defend, and inevitably get beaten 2-0 anyway. Like, I'd rather give it a go. And, and we gave it a really good go. And I think 
what was most impressive is this was a Villa team that probably no one played particularly well on the day. I think no one really got above a 7 out of 10 on the day. And yet we gave United a pretty good go. And this was a United with Christian Eriksen in midfield, with Casemiro, who was the difference in this game. And they've mortgaged their future to get him for a year or two. And we're a bit part squad of players that no one gave a hope, playing probably at par and giving them as good as they're giving us. So it's, and that's the tactics. That's what it comes down to. So we will have the odd bad day. We guaranteed we will. But as you say, the the good stuff far outweighs the negative for me. I'd much rather see us lose to a, a spawny, scuffed goal from a ball over the top than I would see us just inevitably cave after 70 minutes of pressure. Yeah, yeah, we saw we saw what happened with with Everton the other week. You know, they just went and sat on their their eighteen yard line and and eventually got picked off. And you know, we 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 feel that we're 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 above that now. We're we're better than that at the moment, and and that's that that and that's that's good to see. And we did come into it more in the second half. In fairness, a bit more possession. I thought um, perhaps creating better better chances. Good, some good passages of play. There was one lovely bit, bit of, bit of play with, uh, with I think Watkins and Ramsey, and Ramsey had a had a, a shot deflected over the bar, um, and we pressed forward looking for that equaliser, um, and there were t- <laughs> there were two really good opportunities at the end. Obviously, Douglas Louise had one headed off the line, or I, I wondered whether it was offside, and um, and and Mings. Right, right near the end, uh, again could have got his header, and it was his defensive partner, um, Edry Conser, that cleared it off the line. Um, obviously, you know United defend, defended pretty well. Um, it's the first game, as you said earlier, that that we've not scored since Unai Emery took over. Um, it's about twenty games or twenty league games in a, in a row, which is. Which is incredible, really. It's also Ollie Watkins' third game without a goal after his his blistering streak of form. Um, is this at all a concern, or is it kind of symptomatic and of that that fatigue maybe that they've they've had and missing attacking options? Um, you know, and and also the teams maybe becoming accustomed to the threat. Maybe. I think with Ollie Watkins, there's an interesting thing going on. He, he's recently had a, another kid, I think. Kind of congratulations to Ollie. Not that he listens to this, but on the off chance he is. But I think after he had a kid before, he went off the boil a bit. And, and understandably so. Like, you know, as our good friend Craig will tell you, your life gets turned upside down. It's understandable that he might not be might not be scoring for a week or so. But I think you're right, teams have teams are wised up to he's our goal threat. And he, he's hard to mark, but you can mark him. And I think the United game was a was a prime example of why we need a secondary threat. Like it's the kind of game where Leon Bailey would have been perfect. Not that Leon Bailey's ever gonna do anything, but just the threat that Leon Bailey might do something is enough in those conditions. On a wet pitch when there's space in behind. If the only man you've got running in behind every time is Ollie Watkins, he's relatively easy to mark out the game. And and that's the problem. As great as John McGinn's been, as great as Emmy Buendia's been, and, and Jacob Ramsey's been, none of them have got pace to them. So you're looking at that, that perfect through ball, that perfect passing move. Whereas if you've got another speed merchant up top that you can bring in, then it, it really gives you that extra edge. You threaten them in behind. 
And I do think if we'd have had... That's where the squad depth comes into its own. Not that we've not got warm bodies who can come in and do a job. We've got plenty of those. But we don't have a different profile of player who can come in and give us a different threat or a different kind of threat. And, and I think that's where we'll go on next year is we'll have a secondary striker to bring in or a pacey winger to bring in. And, and that's what will make all the difference here. And I think... Again, as I said earlier, we've played three games in a week, the same 11 week. That's, that's a lot of minutes to get done at this time in the season and, and a long truncated season too. So they get a little bit of a buy for me on this game. One player I would like to mention though, not that he played well, but I just loved it, is John Duran coming on again. <laughs> it's pure, he just looks angry. He's an angry young man. He comes on and starts something with Luke Shaw. But there was no need to start something, but it just shows you his hunger, this bit part player who's come in midway through the season, probably didn't expect many minutes. He's desperate to keep that run going. He's he's fouling Luke Shaw, and there's a great, great clip that I think he shared on his own social media of just him with, like, giving him the eyes, the evils to Luke Shaw for daring to tackle him. And I love that. I love that about John Duran. He's, he's a sign of the kind of player I wish we had more of to bring in because he's... When he came on, yeah, he wasn't great, but he just offered something a little bit different that threatened United a little bit more and caused a bit of chaos. And I think, not that he's ready to start from the off, but if we had a few more players like him, a little bit of a different look to bring in. Almost like bringing on your spin bowler in a test match. You've you've pummeled him with the seam stuff for a few overs and you just need something a bit different to unlock him. I think that's what we needed in this game, and sadly we didn't have it. And I think Duran's probably as Duran and Traore are probably as close to that as we've got. Yeah, definitely. And this is where we've we've probably we probably have missed that, uh, Coutinho kind of floating in and out, and and obviously Leon Bailey, who was you know a bit out of form, but you know caused problems. His pace does does cause problems, and we've not had that. And for all of of Buendia's effort. You know, in, certainly in the last th- three games, he's he's been he's been fairly fairly anonymous, really, after a, a really good game against against Newcastle. Um, but maybe it's just not the right, you know, you know the, the the right situation for him in those particular games. But you know, I just think if if, if you've got that bit of rotation, that bit of freshness, and and the options, things suddenly start to ease up a little bit, and it's less. You know, um, less of a, a, a slog, really. If, if that, that's what the last week has, has kind of felt like a little bit to me, they're just trying to get through it, you know, and and dam- almost not damage limitation, but let's let's just get to the end of the week and see where we're at, kind of thing. And 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 that's 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 how it's felt the last the last few games. Um, but yeah, I, I I I do agree with John John Duran. I actually think he's going to be. A real, a real handful in the Premier League in the in the coming years. I think he's got everything going for him. I mean, we saw that 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 game against against Man City where he he slammed one off yeah. the bar. I mean, it was just incredible technique. Um, and he's got these things in his locker, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna rub people up the wrong the wrong way in a similar way to 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 all the great strikers. A lot of the great strikers, Drogba and even Holland and people like this. You know this. This is part of what they do, you know. They it's that almost that fear factor, but Duran's got to start backing it up with one or two goals, maybe, and uh, you know, and, and he'll. I think he'll 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 be flying. Be interesting to see how him and Watkins, Archer, and maybe a new 
face fitting next season and you know how it how it all kind of works. I'm really excited about him. He, he, as you say, he's not got his goal yet, and he's just showed glimpses. But it is that nastiness that like that I like. And you're right, top strikers have it. You think of Shearer or Vardy or Drogba. They've they've got that little bit of nastiness about them, and I love that he's got that. Like it's. I think in the Newcastle game too, he came on and just gave away a disgusting foul in the corner flag. I'm all yeah. up for that, and I'm, I'm, that's what you want to see in your striker. And I think he's he's going to be good. He's still young. Let's remember he's going to be good as he gets on. And him and Watkins could be a really really tidy partnership together. I think in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, hopefully we'll see a, a little bit more over the the next month. Um, but obviously, we've uh, we've got uh, next game coming up, hot on the heels, and it's the it's the trip to the Custard Bowl uh, down the road, as we meet Wolves um, at three o'clock on Saturday. Um, Julian Lopetegui um, has really turned Wolves round since uh, since taking over, has lifted them off the bottom of the league into into the comfort of mid-table obscurity. However, they are on the back of a, an absolute disgraceful showing at Brighton last weekend, losing 6-0. It was a, it was appalling. Some of the some of the play, it was it was dreadful. Um goals are the main issue. Diego Costa and January signing Cunha have only notched three times, I think, between them this season and Raul Jimenez just struggling to re- return to that pre-injury form which was so lethal for for Wolves. Um, it was one all in the previous meeting at Villa Park with a, a, a late Danny Ings equaliser before an absolutely astonishing miss by Leon Bailey, uh, which uh, stopped prevented Villa from from nicking the points on that occasion. Um, Emery will be hoping, obviously, for good news on the the, the injury front uh, to take some of the pressure off. Um, can you see a reaction from Villa this weekend? Do you think? Do you think they can, they can, sort of go again and and and, and go to Wolves and get something? And, and how can Emery energize the troops ahead of ahead of the running now? I mean, Wolves are awful. Let's let's just be honest here. They they were terrible against Brighton, and and they look like the definition of a team that's on the beach. There's there's nothing to play for there, and and they're a bit of a mess of a team structurally, but. I'd like to think we'd get a reaction. I think Emery, if memory serves, has, has generally got a reaction out of his players. We had that sticky patch with the, the Leicester game and the Arsenal game where we came undone. But there was always... It, it, it's not like we were in a rut and there was always a reaction after a bad result. And I think that the fact it's a quasi-derby kind of almost helps with that. It means the players will be a bit more up for it. And... Not to, to hark on about it, they've had a little bit more rest in their legs too. I think a bit of chance for players to come back from injury, a bit of chance for the players to to kind of train ahead of it and not just get recovery work in like they would have done last week. So I fancy us to react, partly due to a combination of Wolves being awful and us needing to react. But it's always a funny old one, us versus Wolves. It never seems to go the way the form decides. I, I think of the the mad draw in the championship or that Dino one where his career was undone by that, giving it away in the last few minutes. We, we similarly to Brentford, we never seem to get an easy run against them. Even when we should, I, I'd put us as odds on favorites for this, but, but weirdly that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Yeah, they are. A, it, it's always difficult, isn't it? And there is that needle there. I mean, this will be the game 
you know, that they'll target now. They're pretty much safe. You know, this is kind of their their end of season hurrah now, isn't it? Um at Molyneux. Um so I think I think it could be a tricky one. I mean if they play anything like that last week we'll we'll demolish them, but I very much doubt that'll be the case. I think they'll be back on form. They'd have been they'd have probably been in early Sunday morning, <laughs> you know, trying to iron out some of the it's just awful, awful play. I've not seen I've not seen a team play that badly for a long time in the Premier League. Um, so, you know, let's let, let's see. But I, th- I think, you know, it's important that obviously in terms of our, ourselves that, that we put we put that defeat behind us really, take the positives out of it and and hopefully there'll be one or two, um, one or two of the injured lads will be back in the squad and, and at least able to play um, some minutes off the bench. Um, which I think will give that'll give everyone a bit of a boost and will feel a bit a bit fresh, you know, and and and, and I think that's important going into now the last four games. Um, what do you think? I mean, we've lost a bit of a bit of ground, really, haven't we? We're we're probably looking at seventh at best if we can overhaul Spurs. Um, do you think we're do you think we're out? Do you think we're struggling now for for that top seven, Dan? I mean, top seven, I'm still on for top six, Andy. I'm, I still think there's a shot at it. I, I think destiny's in our hands. It's We play all the teams around us. We've, we've still got Spurs to play. We've still got Brighton to play. We've still got Liverpool to play. The games in hand are frustrating because you can't look at the table and see it as an accurate table. You've always got to factor in wins from elsewhere. But I, I have hope. I, I kind of... Look, if... If we finish top six, wonderful. If we finish top seven, wonderful. If we don't, wonderful. I mean, it's a win-win season at this point. I thought we were going down at one point. So I still have high hopes we'll sneak into at least the conference. I hope it's the Europa League because it's got a banger of a theme tune and I want to hear that at Villa Park at least once a month. But um, I, I, I still have high hopes, but it starts this weekend. It's You can't have two off weeks, not when there's only four games to go at the end of the season. Yeah, I think we're going to have to obviously put put a bit of a run together, aren't we? Clearly, and we're going to we've got to pick up most of the points. I think if we if we start with a defeat this weekend, it's going to look it's going to start to ebb away. I think a little bit, um, but it's just it's just the games in hand and the relentlessness of Liverpool, and you know the the, the fact is that Spurs, whatever form they're in. They've shown in the last couple of games that they that they have they have quality, they have match winners, they have people that can turn a game. And if you we've obviously got to play Spurs at, at Villa Park. If you don't if you don't finish them off, they'll they'll beat you because they've got they've got quality up front. So, you know, you've you've got to um you've got to take those opportunities. But yeah, it's it's we've still got to pick up a you know, a, a, a fair few points. Um Probably at least seven or eight points, I would say, from the from the remaining four games. So, um, you know, it's possible. It's possible. We'll see. We'll see. We've got to win out. I think we have to yeah. win every game to to get into Europe. I think it's that tight. But again, it's nice to be in a situation where that's in our favour. You know, give me that at any point in the last ten years as a Villa fan, and I'd have snapped your arm off for it. So I'm. It's it's easy yeah. to get disappointed by by that run disappearing. It felt a little bit inflated, but 
the fact we're still in with a shout and you know I, I, any of the uh, Brighton are better than us Liverpool are better than us Spurs on paper are better than us but do I fancy us beating any of those teams probably yeah I can see us beating all of them so it's just whether it happens or not I I have hope that hope might have evaporated when we chat in a week's time but right now I've still got hope <laughs> <laughs> well let's see and like with that in mind what's your prediction for, for Saturday I fancy it being a tight scrappy win so I'm going 2-1 Villa 2-1 Villa I think I'm going to I'm going to back us to uh, to go to go a bit better than that because I think Wolves might struggle to recover fully from last week I'm going to say I'm going to say 3-1 Villa I think it's going to be I think we're going to we're going to get some opportunities and hopefully we've got one or two players coming back as well, which, um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to just get over a defeat like that from last week for, for Wolves. And I'm sure they'll be they'll be much better, but I, I just see us I just see us picking them off a little bit at the Molyneux and that'll be that'll be lovely, wouldn't it, for a for a bank holiday weekend again. <laughs> oh, it'd make me plenty happy if we did it. It's 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 one of those matches that doesn't really mean anything, but it also means a little bit, like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. Certainly does. I mean we've we've still got it all to play for, as we say. So uh, you know, here's here's hoping. Let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> but uh, no, th- th- that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. I mean Great chat. Good to good to be back after a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining me today, Dan. It's 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 been great. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um obviously give us a give us a follow on the socials on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you're on those and uh, we can keep you informed of, of of developments. And there's obviously the website andregaslitlamp.com as well. And set your notifications on wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get a notification when the new podcasts are out. But um, until then, enjoy the Wolves game. We'll be back next week to uh, to review that and look ahead to the Spurs game. But until then, stay safe and up the villa. <laughs>